Isn't that an amazing story? An amazing reality? Easter is that time of the year when we get to remind ourselves of how great it is to be in Christ. And it's an opportunity for us in times like this, in a celebration like this, to get together with each other and remind everybody how great it is to be in Jesus Christ. And to gather together tonight and celebrate and worship His greatness is an opportunity for us to share with our community and to bring people in here and help them to see how wonderful it is to be in Jesus Christ, that they might want Him too, because He wants to have them as His children. And so I pray this, this, as we, as we um, consider and prepare ourselves for uh, this day and what is uh, yet before us tonight, that we will express fully how wonderful it is to be in Christ. The very first Christmas, a good news gospel announcement was made. You, you know it, but just in case you've forgotten, I'll remind you. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. The angel's pronouncement in Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. A Savior. To do what? To save us. That's what saviors do. It was about 30 years later, the world discovered what was so good about this good news gospel announcement. How Christ, the Savior, would save and what that salvation was. I want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to remind you all over again of the good news. Because the Apostle Paul writes, It is by this good news you are saved. Easter is good news. So what is this Good news. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, sorry, verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, Paul writes, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. This is the Word of God. Our Father and our God, this morning my prayer 
is that God's people would be encouraged and built up in the faith. That, Father, they would recognize all over again the amazing benefits they have because of the Easter blessings that Christ has brought to us. I pray, Father, that your children might in every way um, experience for themselves all of the benefits and all of the outworking of those benefits in their lives. May they embrace all that you have granted to them and all that Christ has earned for them through the cross and through his resurrection. And Father, my prayer also is that in the event that there might be some here this morning who have never welcomed or received the truth into their lives, who've never welcomed Jesus Christ as their own Savior and Lord into their life, that today by the proclamation of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ, that you might be pleased by the power of your Holy Spirit to draw people to yourself. Father, you, re- you remind us by your scriptures, Christ himself said that if I be lifted up, if I be uh, put on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. Father, I pray this morning as we rehearse that gospel, that you might be pleased to draw people to yourself. That you might be pleased, Father, to reward Christ all over again for his obedience to the Father to go to the cross and die for us. So, Lord, I pray that you would visit us in a powerful way this morning. That you would settle in here, Father. That you would be pleased to hear what we are sharing with one another. And that you would do your salvation work among us. For I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You know what the good news of Easter is, really? Death is dead. Death is dead. Isn't that an amazing thing? When you woke up this morning and realized, at least I did, I woke up this morning and I thought, wow, death is dead. Because I am in Christ, I will live forever. That's the good news. Saved from eternal death so that we might have eternal life. If you hold firmly, it says in the scriptures, to this word, to the gospel... Believe with all of your heart. It ought to influence and impact and shape the way you live. It is the central reality of your life if you are in Christ Jesus. If the gospel, the good news, is your story, holding firmly to it. This, by the way, Paul writes, is the gospel that was preached to the ancient church. And they received it. And they have taken their stand upon this. This, by the way... Is the same gospel that has been preached here. This is the gospel you have received. And this is the gospel upon which you take your stand. This is who we are. This is our identity in Christ. I want to remind you again this morning of who you are and what we proclaim. We preach Christ crucified, buried, and risen again. That's our truth. That's our gospel. That's our good news. We preach Christ crucified and buried and risen again. That's the good news. Because it is the good news, as the apostle also wrote to the Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to them that believe. It is the power of God unto salvation. That's the good news that Christ has brought to us. So if you have embraced this good news, then today for you is a great day of celebration. It's a great day to remind yourself 
of how great it is to be in Christ and what you have in Him. To rejoice fully in Him. If you don't have the good news of salvation dwelling within you, then you can get it today. That's the good news. It's available today. The invitation is available today. That you are here today means you can receive this gospel for your very self. You can embrace what Christ has done and he can come into your life and be your savior and your Lord today. That's the good news. Paul writes here and he says, this is of first importance. There may be a lot of important things in your life, but the apostle Paul says this is of first importance. And let me unpackage it for you this morning. Let me break it down for you. It is of first importance that Christ died, specifically through crucifixion, by shedding his blood on the cross. The good news is not just that there was a Jesus, but that this Jesus died and was crucified. A savior. And not just a good man. Not just a philosopher, not just a prophet, not just a kind and gracious man, but a Savior who came and died upon a cross, a cross at Calvary. Christ died, but Christ died for our sins. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but you and God have had a huge falling out. That's what the Bible teaches us. We call it sin. This huge falling out has a result of, uh, of whatever God said to you not to do, you did it. Whatever God told you to do, you, you wouldn't do it because you have a rebellious heart. And you turned away from God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've gone our own way. We've had a huge falling out with God. And because we have a rebellious heart, which is called sinfulness... And sin is, is missing the mark. It's, it's, it's falling short of the standard of a loving and a kind and a gracious God. And because we have settled into that sinful pattern in our lives, God cannot even look upon us. Because God cannot look upon sin. And so he's had to turn his back on us. But he sent his son to Calvary to die on a cross. Christ died for our sins. I hope you understand the massive penalty that is involved with this issue of sinfulness. It says in the word of God that the wages of sin is death. For the works of your sin, the paycheck is death forever. I'm not sure if... Perhaps we have comprehended the reality of that, but that means an eternal consciousness of death. What it means is being dead eternally and knowing it. If we don't have something done about our sinful situation, we are experiencing the torment of dying always. It's the result of rejecting life. Which Christ alone brings. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Unless. Unless you could trade what you have done. For the perfect work of another. In the second letter to the Corinthians. The Apostle Paul writes. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21. God made him. Referring to Jesus. 
who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Christ did not die for his own sins because he was sinless, the perfect son of God. Jesus was punished for the acts of another, the acts of others. In fact, he died for our sins. He died for my sins and for your sins. Uh, Beloved, it is impossible to benefit from the forgiveness of Jesus Christ unless we come to the place in our lives where we concede that we are a sinner, that we have in fact turned away from God, that we have rebelled against God, and that Jesus Christ has died for our sins. And you know, if you are still in your sins, because you live with guilt. You can't explain it. You're not really sure about where it comes from, but it's there, it's... There's a shame in your life. There's a a sense in your life where things are just not settled. They're just not right between you and God. You you know that. But Christ died for us. He died for our sins. That we might be able to trade our sinfulness for his righteousness. It says here, according to the scriptures. This is not something the Apostle Paul made up. This is not something I dreamt up this week and decided to speak to you about. This is something that was prophesied centuries before. In fact, in Exodus chapter 12, the account of the Passover was a look forward in anticipation to what it would require, what would be required for the forgiveness of sins. It was there that God rescued his people from the slavery of Egypt and took them out on the basis of their willingness to obey him and place over their door frames the blood of a spotless lamb. And unfortunately, millions of Jewish people are still celebrating the Passover, still locked back in the ancient days of the Passover, which was looking forward to what Christ would do when Christ would come and die on the cross for our sins, shedding his blood so there might be forgiveness of sins. This was promised according to the scriptures. Not only that, but in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, 700 years before the crucifixion of Christ. The prophet Isaiah writes these things. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was like He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as sheep before her shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. 
By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. 700 years before the Apostle Paul states, Christ was promised. And he would die and shed his blood for our sins. It was planned and proclaimed at the first Christmas that that Savior would be Jesus. God's plan of rescue. So Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And it says here also that he was buried, which means he was really dead. Uh, Jesus Christ was not just fallen into a state of of unconsciousness on the cross and the theories of those who would seek to just detract us from the truth, that he somehow swooned on the cross and and those who cared about him spirited him off the cross and and, and took him away and, and hid him. No, no, Christ, it says here, was buried. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Not only was he crucified, but he died and he was buried and he was entombed. A dead corpse. If he were not buried, then he did not really die. And if he didn't really die, then he didn't die for our sins. But he did die. And he was buried. You see, for the life of sin, for living a life of sin, there is a, it is a capital offense before God. The punishment itself is capital unless someone would be willing to substitute for you. Do you understand? The wages of sin is death. You must die for your sins unless someone was willing to substitute, to stand in your place and to die in your place for you. That one is Jesus Christ. He has gone to the cross for our sins. He is the one who has died on the cross for our sins. That he might be the substitute. That by believing in him, we might have life. So, by the way, if Jesus was buried and entombed, it means one of two things are true. Either he was resurrected from the tomb, or those who... um, wanted to disprove that he could rise from the dead, would have taken and would have presented his body to all who were there. But his body was never presented to anyone. That can only mean one thing. His body was not presented to anyone because they couldn't produce his body because he rose on the third day. Because he was resurrected. He really died. And he was really buried. And now it says in this of first importance that he really rose from the dead. He really was raised to life. And by the way, it's more than a feeling. It it was more than a vision. It, It was more than some spirit or a spiritual object lesson. It is really a coming to life bodily from the death. That's what this is all about. And by the way, Paul adds now again, according to the scriptures. And what scriptures do we have that 
tell us of the resurrection of Christ? Well, we already shared one with you in Isaiah chapter 53. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life. But also the psalmist. In Psalm 16, verse 8 through 11, a psalm that's very dear to us. I have set the Lord always before me. A messianic psalm. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The psalmist writes of the resurrection of Christ. And when the skeptics were standing around Christ, During his earthly ministry, asking him to prove to them and show them a sign that he was the the Messiah. He said to them in John chapter 2, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And the Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. They were looking at the structure, the physical temple as he stood there. And and, uh, in verse 21 it says, but... The temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And finally, it says in the text... And he appeared. He appeared to witnesses. This is not just a legend. This is not hearsay. And by the, word, by the way, the word that is chosen, the original language for appeared, is a word that means to really see, to really perceive, that, that he was really there, that this was not some sort of a dream or some sort of a vision or some sort of ethereal spiritual mirage. This was the living Christ in bodily form, standing before them. It says he came to Peter first and presented himself to Peter. And then after he came to Peter, it was to the rest of the 12, the other disciples. And then it says that he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters who were already believing in him. And Paul writes, and by the way, most of these brothers and sisters are still alive today as you are reading this letter, Corinthians. And if what I'm telling you were not true, they would have stepped forward and said, he's a liar, he's not telling the truth. But no one has stepped forward and said that because they have seen him with their own eyes. They have seen the living Christ. He is alive. He stood before them. And then it says he appeared again to all of the apostles. And then interestingly there, it says and he appeared to James. Now why did he add James? Why did he center out James? James, the half-brother of Jesus. In John chapter 7, verse 5, it tells us there that none of Jesus' brothers believed in him. Paul said, do you realize that I'm bringing before you an exhibit, exhibit A, a skeptic who didn't believe? Now, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem... 
And if that isn't enough, he says he appeared to me. An ex-murderer of Christians. Now, I, I got to tell you, he says, I, I didn't want to see Christ. I didn't believe in him. I was going around killing Christians. All those who were saying that they had seen the resurrected Christ. I said, no, this is nonsense. I, I was killing them. I was a murderer. And Christ appeared to me. I've seen him with my own eyes. Not only that, he's changed my life. By the grace of God, he has, he has turned me from a, a Christian killer to someone who's going around and proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. That he died and that he was buried according to the scriptures. That he died for our sins. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared before me. And I'm telling you, I've seen him with my very own eyes. It's true. Now, this is their account. And this account doesn't prove the resurrection to you. But those who were there believe it. It is the good news. And by the way, the resurrection proves that the Father was satisfied with the payment for your sin and rewarded Jesus for this sufficient sacrifice. That's the good news. If there was no resurrection, there is no forgiveness of sins and there is no life after death. That's the problem with all of the other religions. They have no prototype. They have no first fruit. Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20, is the first fruits of all those who will also rise from the grave. You And me and everybody else who believes in Jesus Christ and follows him with all of their hearts. Who stands firm on this gospel. Guaranteed. A guarantee of eternal life offered to us. You don't get to God's heaven through terrorist martyrdom. You can't climb some ladder of extraterrestrial privilege and power as the Mormons suggest. You can't, get to, you can't work your way into the favored 144,000, as the Jehovah's Witness suggests. You're not going to become some sort of absorbed entity into the cosmos of nirvana as the Eastern religions propose. If Christianity is right, then run to it. It is the only way to the Father in heaven. If it is wrong, then chuck all of them. Because then there is no historic record. There are no witnesses. There is no proclaimed champion over death and dying. It's just annihilation at death. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote later on in this letter, we might as well just eat, drink, and be merry. It's either this or nothing, Paul says. The only alternatives that make any sense in life are Christianity or party it up for the rest of your life. But the reason that billions believe that, there is, that something spiritual matters is because we have all been created in the image of God. And there is an inclination in everyone's heart that is unsettled 
until it finds its rest in Jesus Christ. This is the good news. That he died and that he was buried and that he rose again from the grave to give us all he has obtained through that resurrection life. He's given us forgiveness of sins, victory over sin, guilt and shame is gone, condemnation is obliterated, eternal life is secure, salvation is ours. That's the good news that we proclaim to you this morning. And Paul writes, by this gospel you are saved. And there is no other. Our Father and our God. It is this morning's purpose to once again remind all of God's people of that Easter morning, of that Easter truth, of that Easter weekend reality that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was buried according to the Scriptures. And that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to more than 500 witnesses. And he has offered to us this salvation. That we might live eternally as well. Forgiven of our sins. Freed from their tyranny in our lives. Shame and guilt gone. Salvation ours, condemnation obliterated, eternal life forevermore. Oh, Father, I pray this morning that not only would God's people be encouraged and built up in the faith, but that they might stand firm on this. And Father, I pray for those who have yet to respond, to receive this truth, to receive this gospel, that the convicting, powerful work of the Holy Spirit would draw them to himself today. For ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the gospel. This is the gospel which you believe. Because Christ died and was buried, someone has taken your penalty for sin upon themselves. Therefore, you don't have to die. Because Christ was raised from the dead, it means to us that the Father in heaven was satisfied with the sacrifice. It's a sufficient sacrifice. And you have gained eternal life because of it. The death sentence is gone. In fact, Jesus has made forgiveness of sins a gift he is offering to you Right now, and if you will take it, then for you, death is dead. That's the gospel. This, Paul says, is what we preach. This is what you believe. So let me ask you the question this morning Is this just, is this your good news, or is this just good news? The gospel, you see, is a gift the gift of salvation. But you must receive it. You must receive Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior. By this gospel, you are saved. There is no other. And there is no other one than Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for salvation. Thank you for being a saving God. 
Thank you for building up your children here this morning. Thank you for giving us joy all over again in our hearts, that we might rejoice that we too are, are living eternally, that we are firmly in the hands of the Father in heaven, and no one can pluck us from his hand. Father, thank you for that truth. Lord, I pray for those who might be here this morning who have not come to faith in Christ, but the Spirit of God is working right now. Oh, Lord, draw them to yourself, I pray. As our heads are bowed right now, I I just believe that there is some in this room this morning This may be the first time you ever heard the good news the good news of Jesus Christ. And maybe this is the first time you, that you ever heard that it could be yours personally. That this could be your good news story for the rest of eternity. That you could have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. That he would forgive you of your sins, come into your life, live in your life, change you, and give you eternal life. As I conclude my prayer, if that is you and you know the Spirit of God is calling to you, then say yes to Christ. And as we conclude our service in prayer, I'm going to invite anybody who has said yes to Christ this morning for salvation to come and meet with one of our pastors here at the front. We would love to pray with you to join with you in this great day of celebration of moving from death to eternal life, sins forgiven, Christ as your Savior, in the family of God. Oh, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, save people today. I pray in Jesus' name.